We're thinking tonight again of this subject that we've started to consider in this series, the subject of covenants. God is a God of covenants and so much of the word of God to understand it, we need to see that it is covenant language throughout. There are these threads which tie together in the covenant of redemption. We thought of that wonderful plan made amongst the Trinity, between God the Father, God the Son. And he came into time, this covenant which is everlasting. We thought of the two subsidiary covenants, the covenant of works, which in a sense didn't last because it couldn't be kept by any of us. And then the covenant of grace, that promise that if we come in repentance and faith, the Lord will hear. The Lord will save and the Lord will cover us with his mercy and grace. So biblical covenants, biblical relationships and tonight, not exactly a covenant as such, but a picture which has covenant language for us. We remember that the covenant that God gives is infallible, indestructible. What confidence that gives us. God's whole plan is based upon covenants for our mutual blessing and benefit. And therefore it's true to say God does not want us to live outside of covenants. That's not his plan. The world hates covenants. Just stand back and think. 1970, I said this at a wedding on Saturday. 1970. Four in every five men were married in this country. Today, one in five. That's an astonishing decline in the covenant picture of marriage. And if you think of church membership, I'm sure the statistics would be very similar. Covenant language is not known. It's not really understood. If it is, it's hated and it's turned to one side. Why Do I need that? But that's God's way. God wants husbands and wives to be in loyal, faithful relationships. He wants us to be in a covenant relationship with him and the church that he's died for and gave himself for. So tonight, this covenant picture, as I'm calling it, of believers, adult baptism. There are only two positive ordinances by positive what I mean is direct rather than implied there are other things like membership which is very clearly implied through the pictures and the metaphors but the Lord's table and baptism are the only two other churches they add things which are not directly taught and things which were of the old period They see as prescriptive and required things like foot washing, which clearly don't have the same relevance to us today as they did in Eastern ancient times. Now, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, they don't point to us. The two covenants that they reflect in the Old Testament, they're not replaced by, but they correspond with, are Passover, 
which corresponds with the Lord's Supper and circumcision, which has some similarities but many differences with baptism. Let's just think of some covenant signs that we have. We obviously think of the rainbow, a glorious emblem lifted up that we still see today, a glorious sign and picture and promise that God who judged the whole world in a global flood of which there's so much evidence that he will not do it again. And every time that we see that bow hanging above us, it reminds us that God's war bow, his anger has been subdued and suppressed. And he will not, while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's a covenant. It's a picture covenant. God makes a promise that's also for our blessing. God's commitment that he made to us, let's think, secondly, of the sign of circumcision, still practised in many countries today. It's somewhat of a, a local thing in many countries, and some countries you wouldn't have a boy that goes beyond day eight without the boy would be still circumcised. Well, what did it mean? The cutting of the flesh picturing what would happen one day, the creation of a new people. God's salvation through Noah and his family was very dramatic, but it did not get rid of sin. The sin problem still existed. Noah died, but sin was still there. Sin remained. And so in this sign and picture of circumcision, we see that there will be an entry into the national family of Israel. You enter by birth and you show that you are a true Israelite, the boys only, by day eight, the custom being kept. But what was it really speaking of? It was speaking of the need for spiritual surgery of the heart. There needed to be a cutting there needed to be a severance. There needed to be the taking away of the so-called unclean. And that was picturing what needed to happen in the heart, that a new relationship needed to be entered into. So the rainbow, and then circumcision. Two pictures, a third. The Passover meal, kept annually, or it should have been, it wasn't kept for Hundreds of years when the children of Israel were in captivity, they were negligent because of their sin and then they became lazy and they had to be stirred up to keep that sign and signal again. But it was a mark of what the Lord had done. What the Lord had done for his people, delivering them. They were being reminded that the angel of death passed over the homes, Exodus 12. And this nation, spiritual nation that had been formed and ordered by God's law at Sinai, that that covenant had been given. And one day, 
There would be a spiritual application that the Lord would pass over every heart that believe by faith and that God's gracious rule would be in each individual heart that exercised faith. Let's ask this question. I often hear this. You sometimes hear this amongst Presbyterians, good Presbyterian friends. They say that baptism has just replaced circumcision. And for circumcision, you can read baptism. And they're a direct correspondence. But that's not quite true. Let's have a look at some of the differences. This is important. Circumcision was national. Every God-fearing, respecting parent of a little boy would make that decision. And the whole nation was covered by it. It was a national demonstration of what the Lord would do to the spiritual nation of Israel, his church. So first of all, it's national. Baptism is not national. It's very individual. Those only who've repented of sin, those only who have come and had that barrier taken down and become the recipients of grace. It's not race, it's grace that makes a person eligible for baptism. Secondly, who took the decision to circumcise? Well, it was the parents who takes the decision in a sense to be baptised, well, it's the individual. It's a very personal thing. Nobody should be rushed or pressured or forced. It's the individual that makes that decision. They are evidencing, professing a work that's already gone on within the heart. Very different to circumcision where the individual knows nothing about it. There'll only be some tears evidencing what's happened. Thirdly, circumcision points to a work of man. It's done, probably, by a man. It points to human activity. It points to the covenant of works, really. What about baptism? It's all about Christ. We shall look at some New Testament scriptures and we will see it's about his finished work, his life, his death, his resurrection. It points to Christ. Massive difference. Circumcision was done to the outer body. Baptism speaks of what's happened in the inner heart and the life. Circumcision was just for boys. Baptism is for men and women. There's no mention of children baptised in the Bible. You find me a text that mentions a young person baptised. All the ones that I can find are mature, proven adults. I think we have to be careful baptising very young children until their calling has been proven and tested and there is evidence. Very often baptism can be done just to please and we don't want that. Well, here's another question. Why was Christ baptised? That's quite interesting. We've said that baptism is a picture of what's gone on in the heart, but Christ didn't sin. Christ, therefore, 
didn't need to repent, and baptism and repentance always go hand in hand. You look at the number of texts, they are many. Look at Matthew 3 and 15. We see a text here which is quite intriguing. Jesus is answering John who said, No, 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 no. I can't possibly baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Verse 14, loosely translated. Verse 15, and Jesus said, No, permit it to be so now. For thus it becometh, it's fitting, it's appropriate for us. Who's the us? Well, it's Christ and John to fulfill all righteousness. Well, that's the first answer. Christ needed to be baptised to fulfil the covenant of redemption. This was part of the plan, that his righteousness should be offered up. Secondly, we note, what does heaven say? Verse 17, heaven was so pleased that Christ was baptised. It was all part of the plan. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, says the Father. And Christ was baptised as well because he had to show absolute obedience. Repent and be baptised. He didn't need to repent. But he did need to follow the commandment to be baptised and in so doing he identifies himself with us. That's important. That will come up again. And the Lord never did anything that he doesn't command his people to do. He took the Lord's table. He instituted the Lord's table he takes baptism and he undertakes this process and this physical picture and sign so that we know it's a good thing and that we follow in his footsteps. And he's setting the way. He's saying, this is the way. Walk therein. And so we follow Christ's picture. He had to do it. It was to fulfill all righteousness. If he hadn't done it, he wouldn't have kept the law and he wouldn't have followed his father's instructions and the covenant of redemption would not have been complete. Well, let's say then a few things about baptism of believers. The first very obvious one is it's a command. Sometimes I think people miss this. They see repentance is a command. We command People to repent, although some churches don't like that language. I don't see how you possibly can avoid it. John the Baptist comes, we read it, and he commands people to repent. When Christ comes, what's the first word that characterizes his ministry? Repentance. But thereafter, repentance and baptism always go hand in hand. And what's more? There's a very short gap between the repentance and the baptism. The eunuch says, what hinders me? Why should I delay? Here's water. And they went to another place and they saw there was lots of water. And so there was a baptism. So it's a command. We don't wait. Some people really wrongly say, you wait till there's a sign. 
almost in a charismatic way. We repent, yes, but then we wait. Years, decades go by. And we have faith. We trust in Christ. We believe in him as our saviour. And yet some people are waiting for fireworks to go off or something, some magic text or something to tingle. No, repent and be baptised. It follows on immediately. We, of course have to test to see if the repentance is genuine. We're not apostles. We want to see in our day and age. We don't have mass persecution and hostility like they did in the early church and is the case in some countries today where they often baptize very quickly. You convert from Hinduism. You destroy your idols. I tell you, that's a lot of evidence when you lose your job and your family. Pastors where. That's the case. Very often baptised within days or weeks and rightly so. Secondly, baptism is a vital part of our obedience. It doesn't earn us anything. There is no blessing as such in baptism, but it's a demonstration that we are disciples and that we are obeying and to wait and to delay is to disobey. Nowhere in the Bible do we, do we read of people deliberately waiting. Thirdly, we can say that it doesn't confer any salvation blessing. The obvious example of this is the thief on the cross who was never baptised, but he was told today, you will be with me in paradise. He was assured. Those that go and visit the bedside of somebody dying and They give the last rites or something like that and they say unless the priest has come and the waters touch the forehead, that's hocus pocus. No mention of that at all. In fact, the very opposite. No, it's a sign. It's a visual aid. It's like a rainbow. It's like a wedding ring. The person's been baptised. They have a reminder, a visual picture As do those who witness what's happened. It's a witness to believers and to unbelievers of what's happened within them. And we'll explain that. It's a picture of forgiveness. And that's why it has to be total immersion. Sprinkling. What good does that do? When the picture is of total cleansing. Total washing. We of course believe that the word Baptism means to dip, to dip completely. It doesn't mean to dot some drops upon the forehead. It's a picture of new life. That's what the person has already received. And in going down into the water and coming up, the person is, as it were, dramatizing and demonstrating that they have already received new life. They've gone down And they've come up, they go down into the water, they come up in Christ as Christ rose. And then we can say as well that it's an identification with Christ and his people. It is the means of entry to the church. I can show you some text to prove this in a minute. That really it is the entry into the body of Christ. That's why 
in this church, I believe rightly down through the years, baptism has been the prerequisite for us entering the church, committing to the church, and then being able to have all the many blessings that come with church membership, including the Lord's table. Well then, let's look at this covenant picture in some texts. First of all, we've said that baptism dramatizes, I use that word carefully, it brings to life. It is though in pictorial symbols shows the covenant that Christ has been committed to. It pictures his life, his death, and his resurrection as we go under the water, his death and his burial, and then his coming up from the water is seen. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6, where we see this explained very clearly. Romans 6, we just read a couple of verses here. We often read this at a baptism service because it so helpfully explains what's going on, especially to visitors that come on those occasions. Romans 6, and we'll read from verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death? Well, is that literal? No. This is speaking of baptism as a picture. It's saying that when we went down, it was as though we died Our old life went with us, it had already happened, but in dramatization, in picture form, we are demonstrating to those that witness that we've been baptized into his death. We've not died, of course, he's the one that's died. It's only his death that's worthy and that affords salvation. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him. You see that identification We're, as it were, not experiencing, but we're paralleling what's happened to him. We are buried with him by baptism into death. That like, picture form, picture language, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We're saying to the world, to whoever will listen, whoever will come and witness, That was my old life. The old me has died. It's gone down into the grave. Nevertheless, Christ lives within me and I'm now walking in newness of life. A lovely picture and expression. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, it's going overboard, isn't it, to explain its picture allegory, language, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. As we come up, there is that newness of life. We are demonstrating, testifying that life has been given, spiritual life. Verse 6, finish with this, knowing that this, our old man, is crucified with him. We've died Our old personality, our old ways, our old life, it's dead now. We've been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth 
we should not serve sin. So we are uniting, as it were, with Christ. We're not experiencing suffering. There's no goodness imparted on the basis of baptism. But we are identifying in union with what Christ has already experienced. Let's look at another verse. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Baptism is here used again as a metaphor. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Perhaps we read from verse 12. For as the body is one, speaking of the church, and hath many members demonstrated as parts of the body, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. This is speaking of the church. It's going to tell us how we enter the church. Verse 13, for by one spirit, you know, baptism is Trinitarian. At the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, it says, go and baptize the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's analogous, parallel with the covenant of redemption. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So this is teaching us that no longer are we many nations. It's not about race anymore. No, there's only one race, the human race. And out of that, God calls his people into the church one by one. And we're made one with Christ into his body, joined to that body, fitly joined together. Well, let's look at one more text before we draw this to a conclusion. Galatians. Galatians and chapter 3. And we read from verse 27. It's similar language. Galatians 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, into what he has already done, his life, his death, his resurrection. We've been baptized into Christ and we've put on Christ. We've experienced, not suffering, but we've experienced in a small pictural way what Christ has been through. We identify with him. It says the same again as we read in 1 Corinthians 12. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. Remember, circumcision was just for the boys. Now there's no distinction. <coughs> for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now here's an interesting verse, linking back to covenant language and to circumcision and the abolition of that old sign. If ye be Christ's, if you've been converted, if you believe in him by faith, if you've repented of your sin and then been baptised, then are ye Abraham's seed. The Abrahamic covenant. Remember, 
He was called out. Through his seed, the literal Israel would be formed and they would become heirs according to the promise. But now it's no longer Israelites. It's not Jew, it's not Greek, it's not bond, it's not free, it's not male, it's not female. There's no distinction. You just need to be in Christ. And then, are you the spiritual seed of Abraham? You see the whole covenant language all the way through God's word, bringing this theme together. Baptism as a covenant picture. Well... We rejoice. We've had a number of baptisms in this church in recent years, some in this room. Tonight, we're so thankful for that. It's a good thing. People see it. What do they see? They see a testimony. They see a picture that to the outsider is a bit strange. What's happening? Is this some ritual? Is it some ceremony? Does it confer some blessing? Is it necessary? No, no, no. It's just a picture. It's an emblem. It's pointing to Christ. It's pointing away from the individual and it's pointing to the fulfillment of the promise of redemption that's already gone on in that life. And the person is saying, this is what's happened to me. I've been spiritually circumcised. My heart has been surgically cut and I'm no longer what I once was. So let me give you, just as really to wrap this up, some lessons, seven points that we can learn from this picture of baptism as a covenant picture. The first is that baptism points to a better, an altogether better covenant. Circumcision was really speaking about works, a failed, powerless, hopeless covenant that none of us could keep. But baptism speaks of a better covenant because it speaks of Christ. And Christ has fulfilled all that was necessary, including him being baptised himself. Secondly, baptism is always inextricably linked to repentance. Repent and be baptised. The two go hand to hand next to each other. It is a sign, it's a mark, it's a picture of conversion. And that's why it's total immersion. The end of a life, the newness of life. Thirdly, circumcision pointed to the need for surgery and so heart surgery has been performed. We've mentioned that. And baptism, it demonstrates that all that is necessary has already been accomplished because it's really about Christ. Baptism is fundamentally different from circumcision, yes, it has some parallels and it relates to that sign, but it's very, very different in its fulfilment. Baptism is of considerable help to the church. We only have these two pictures, these two ordinances to remember. It's designed by the Lord. He kept it. He followed it. 
And everywhere he went, he commanded people to repent and to be baptised. He intentionally went through the process of baptism. And as we've seen, it's the way we identify with Christ. It's the way we become part of the body of Christ, which is speaking of the precondition for entering the church. What a wonderful picture this is. It makes so much sense when you see these covenant cables running through God's word. What a privilege it is for many to say, I've been baptised. I've demonstrated to the world and to all who would watch and take notice that I now walk in newness of life and that my old life is dead and I don't live for self anymore. There's nothing I can do. The old covenant of works is dead, but the covenant of grace, I'm a recipient of it. And through this picture of water cleansing the whole body and coming up from the baptismal pool, we have that newness of life because of the work that Christ has done within us. Covenants, how we should value covenants. We're covenant people. The Old Testament, the children of Israel, their lives were <coughs> governed by covenants. Pictures, the Passover, circumcision, the rainbow, just as three examples of that. Our lives should be also characterised by a love for, a willingness to enter into covenant relationships with one another, with the church and in marriage, if the Lord blesses in that way. What a glorious privilege we have. So the Lord may help us with these things. We're going to sing our closing hymn tonight.